Hi, you've just downloaded or otherwise accessed a podcast of Cross Point Church and the teaching ministry presented through our weekly Sunday morning worship. Feel free to burn a copy of this file when you're finished and pass it along to a friend you think might also benefit from the teaching. We hope you enjoy the message today, and thanks again for taking the time to visit. Waiting in the weeds. Um, I think nobody hates weeds like the sower of grass. If you've never sown grass in your yard and you absorb the weeds, you absorb the grass that, you, that, that was there before you got there, I think you're a, little, you're a little less charged to get rid of the weeds. But I think if you sowed the grass... Now, there was dirt there, and you've sown some grass or a patch of dirt or whatever. You've sown some grass, and weeds take over that grass, and it starts to work its way in. You start to get a little bit perturbed a little bit. How dare these weeds? I sowed this grass myself. I watered it. I, I scratched the I loosened the dirt. I, how dare these weeds work their way in? Well, weeds don't have to work their way in. They can blow from a neighbor's yard, little, these little dandelion things, you know, that come up on dandelions. They'll, they'll blow for miles. Get in your yard, find a seed, find a root. And, and I... The, the, most of you have been to my house before, and, and I got a little circle out front in my house, a little, little, little drive around circle. And see, probably two years ago, from two years ago to now, there's not a single weed in that circle. Now, it's not pristine because it's half Bermuda and half fescue. I'm waiting on the Bermuda to take over, but the, and it eventually will, but there's not a weed in that circle. And I worked in that circle for year after year after year. I'd spray, I'd get the weed be gone, I'd get the, and I'd dig and I'd pull, and I, you know, and however you chase weeds, they're still going to come back. Now, I'm, I'm anticipating some coming back this year, and I'm going to spray them and get rid of them. But as of now, as of where we stand today, maybe part of it is the weather we've had, there's not a weed in that circle. and hadn't been for a couple of years. And re- regardless of whether you chase them with, with chemicals or with, uh, with vinegar or with alcohol, or, or my grandmother used to get a, a, a butter knife out in the yard, and so I'd see her squatted down the yard with a butter knife trying to get the weeds, the dandelions out of her yard. Whatever you chase them with, if if you're if you're on a quest um, for for a weed free lawn or weed free yard, you're going to do whatever it takes to get there. You're going to you're going to spray them. You're going to because they're a nuisance and they'll and left unchecked, the weeds will totally take over the grass. They're stronger than the grass. They require less nutrients than the grass. They require less sunlight than the grass. Less water than the grass. And so they're lower maintenance. They'll take over the grass if you don't if you don't get after them. They they totally take over lawn. Why? I think the enemy designed the dandelion. I think the devil is after the is behind the dandelion. To be truthful with you, at least where most Christians are concerned, where they'd lose their faith and get out and cuss the, cuss the weeds in their yard. But, uh, and I'm not to that extreme. I don't hate him that bad, but I do hate him because I'm the one that sowed the grass. And I don't want him to be there. And I think it's, I think it's intentional that Jesus uses the illustration of a weed in this story. And, and, and make no bones about this, this parable. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 13, if you want to turn there, by the way. Make no bones about this parable. He's talking about the saved and the lost, those that are in the kingdom and those that aren't. And how oftentimes in our culture, we look very similar, we grow in very similar ways, and it sometimes takes some mileage and some time, and we'll see that in just a moment, to tell the difference one from the other. Um, so it's, it's dangerous to start, as we're going to read here in just a moment, it's dangerous to start going in and just totally annihilating weeds, grass, whatever's there, or weeds or wheat in this story, because you're going to lose some good with the bad. It's better that they grow side by side to where one can see the other, and more is revealed that way. Turn, if you will, to, to Matthew chapter 13, 
And we're going to look at verses 24 to 30 and then jump over and look at verses 36 to 43. Matthew 13, 24. Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where, did, where then did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, Do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you're pulling the weeds, you may root up the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, First collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned. Then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. Then jump over to, down to verse 36. Then he left the crowd and went into the house, and his disciples came to him and said, Explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. He answered, The one who sowed the good seed is the Son of Man. The field is the world, and the good seed stands for the people of the kingdom. The weeds are the people of the evil one, and the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the harvesters are angels. As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out His angels, and they will weed out of His kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They will throw them into the fire, into the blazing furnace, and there there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. Whoever has ears, let them hear. In essence, and we looked at this last week's parable about the soul, with his ending that story, whoever has ears to hear, let him hear. As I shared with you at the beginning of, of last week, parable in the Greek is parabolu, meaning multifaceted. It's where we get our word parabolic from. Multifaceted, meaning that there are many truths, yet there is a, it's an earthly story about an eternal, about a heavenly, about a kingdom thing. And it can be multifaceted as, as last week's was, and in fact as this week's is as well. Now, <clears throat> the weeds of the world, we're going to see four things here from this text, but the weeds of the world are first of all sown in secret. Look at verse 25. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed seeds among the wheat and went away. While everyone was sleeping. First question here that's, that becomes obvious to us is, what have we allowed to creep into our lives while we've been asleep at the wheel? Are there habits? Are there attitudes? Is there anger? Is there temper? Is there uh, What have we allowed to creep into our world while we've been asleep at the wheel? Never on purpose. Never saying, ah, come in, you know, it's whatever, yeah, never on purpose. But while we're asleep at the wheel, while we're asleep, um, these things happen. Now, I would say, I would venture to say, and you can disagree with me, but it's okay, both of us have the right to be wrong. I would venture to say that most sin happens at night. Most sinful things happen at night, I would, I would be my estimation. You can, as I say, you can disagree. And, and I think it's that way because... I think it's often that way, but is because we're at night, at the end of the day, we're more vulnerable, we're more tired, we're more weak, we're more whatever, you know, at the end of the day than we are at the beginning or during the day. And I think that's why the enemy rears his head probably more at night than, than at any other time. And in fact, he says here, and I, and I think he's, he's doing this to, to, to more clearly and distinctly illustrate this is how the enemy works. I want you to see how the enemy comes at you. He comes at you oftentimes at night when you're weak, when you're vulnerable, when you're tired, when you're discouraged, when you're wondering, should I get up and make another day of it? <laughs> and he hits you with temptation. He hits you with, with, with attitudinal things that are just totally away from Christ. Why does he do that? 
because he knows when we're at our most vulnerable. He knows when we're at our weakest. And often, not always, but oftentimes, that's at night. Um, well, why does it happen this way? Well, one is we're more vulnerable and weak. And two, the enemy is more at work because he's harder to distinguish at night. He's harder to distinguish in the dark. He lurks in the shadows. In fact, he never comes out and says, hey, here I am. Here's what I, here's what I have for you. No, he always works in a covert, in a secretive, in a behind the scenes, in a closed door, in, 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 a, in, a, in a way that says, is this from me or is it not? Could this be from God? Is this from the world? Is this cultural? Is it spiritual? Is it? And, and, the, and the confusion that he brings about, he brings about intentionally. He doesn't come, come to us and say, okay, here's bad, here's good, follow the bad way. He never does that. He tries to cloud the bad with the good so that we can't see one from the other. We can't distinguish one from the other. That's harder to do in the dark the dark literally at night, and the dark spiritually when, we're, when our eyes are clouded and we can't see the things we need to see. It's hard to see him in the dark, harder to distinguish his ways. Um, and that's the way he works. He's covert. He's like these uh, radical Islamists that, you, that, that you're, you're seeing all over YouTube and all over the news who will, who will bring somebody out to be beheaded and expose their face but, but, but shroud their own face. Cowards. And, and our enemy, the devil, is a coward. He will never show himself for who, for who he really is. He disguises himself in, in the form of this, in the form of that, in the form of this temptation, in the form of this. You'll really like this. This is going to be for your good, ultimately. You will try this. And he never, he never takes the veil off and says, here's who I am. You know why? We would run as fast as we could run from him if we could see him for who he really is. I think it was Conway Twitty years ago that, that wrote a song, Devil with, the blue jean, Devil with His Blue Jeans On. In, in essence, describing, here's this good-looking guy that comes up to your door to say, I'm here for you, honey. I'm, I'm all you've ever dreamed of. And he never, he never reveals himself in that way. He's always behind the scenes. He's always lurking in the shadows. He's always at work and prodding around here and using this one and using this circumstance and this weakness and that fear, and using things that, are, that, are, that he knows will... will at, at, at length, length, like lengths of a chain will at a, at a time pull us into where he's, he's continually pulling, continually prodding and pulling and prodding and pulling until he's got the whole chain in the bucket. And he never comes out and says, here's who I am. Why? As I say, because we would see that and most of the time run from it. That's why he works in the darkness, both figuratively and literally, and, and, and why, why the darkness is such an issue for us, figuratively and, and literally. Um, that's why we need to be people of the day. Um, Thessalonians, First Thessalonians speaks to this uh, as Paul's writing the Thessalonian church. He said, you are all children of the light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be awake and sober. I've told you this story before about my uh, second church plant that I ever started. We were, we were looking at a nightclub out on Alcoa Highway as, as a potential meeting place. And the guy was real open to us, to us doing it. In fact, he was real excited about it and went out there to look at the space. And he had the had the colored light, the night lights on, you know, the can lights in the ceiling and the colored lights, you know, on the stage and around. And, you know, the place didn't look too bad until I wanted to see a little more about the space. So I walk over and turn on the light switch and the fluorescent lights come on. <laughs> Whoa. I mean, there's, there's throw up over in this corner. There's, there's dirt over here. There's, you know, there's empty beer bottles and cans. And I thought, Whoa, I don't, I don't know. This is the wisest thing for us to do. But until the light was exposed, exposed, all, it looked pretty good in the dark. And that's why he didn't turn the fluorescence on when I walked into place. He turned the darker lights on, so I would, and, I, and I did have a fairly favorable opinion until I could see it for what it really was. And that's what the light does to darkness. It, it reveals the things to us uh, in situations, in decisions, in, in relationships. It reveals itself to us, and the, and the greatest source of, of light is the Scripture but it reve- and, and His Spirit. But it reveals to us in those incremental ways and in those situational ways 
Here's where truth really is. Walk in this way. The enemy never does that. He never comes out and says, here's who I am. Here's what I'm about. We would run from it. We need to recognize his ways. And that's what, in part what this parable is about. But we need to rec- recognize his ways. And there is, there is great deception in what he does. And he always lurks in the darkness, never in the light of day. I think that's one of the, one of the, I think one of the most unique pictures in Scripture is in Revelation 21 where, where the Scripture says, and there will be no night there. Meaning, meaning eternity, there'll never be any night in eternity. Um, after the millennium, and we look at, we'll look at this a little more in just a second, but after the millennium, and this is when all this occurs, when, 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 as we read here, when the, when the weeds are bundled up and cast into the lake of fire. We'll look at that in just a moment. But, but post-millennium, we see this description in Revelation 20, 21 and 22 about, about this new heaven and new earth and the new Jerusalem. And, and as he's describing, the, 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 the sun will be the source of light. There'll never be any night there, meaning that we will never sleep as he does, never sleeps, never slumbers, the scripture says. I think that's illustrative of the fact that we are people of the light. We're called when we come into relationship with him to walk in the light as he, scripture says, is in the light. We're called to be people of the light. Darkness is not for us. And that's exactly how our enemy works. He lurks in the darkness, as I said, both literally at night and figuratively, clouding our vision to where we can't see who he really is, what he's up to, what he's about, because we'd never follow him on purpose if we knew that. Weeds of the world are sown in secret. That's the way he works. Secondly, the weeds of the world are waiting to react. Look at, look at what he says in verse 26. It says, when the wheat sprouted and, he- and formed heads, then, or when the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weed also appeared. The weed was reactive, not proactive. They didn't come up at the same time. The wheat came up first and sprouted first, and then the weeds followed. Um, the devil's servants, and, and he talks about who those are in verse 30, the, the latter part of verse 38, jump over there. The weeds are the people, he says, of the evil one, the people of the evil one. The devil's servants always show up after the fact, always show up late, never, never right when things are happening, and start to point fingers and accuse and say, ah, where's your God now? Why did, why did, why did, why, why did, why did your brother-in-law get cancer or, or Ask Leanne, why does your brother get cancer? Why do, why do little children uh, have, are, are over here in Children's Hospital with leukemia? Why, why, is, why is there a need for St. Jude's? Why, where, where is your God in all of that? And the, that's the way the accuser works. He comes after the fact and says, hey, what happened? Why can't your God make everything right? Why, he, why can't he correct? If he's God, why, he, why can't he correct all the wrongs? And if you're following him, how dare you walk in, with him with as much failure as you have in your life. How, how can you claim to know him? And he's the accuser. In fact, that's what the word Satan means, is accuser. To, to come behind, never on time, never with what's happening, but always after the fact and say, ah, this is what that really meant. Where's your God now? Where, what happened there? Why can you not explain this? Why, why would a God of love allow X, Y, or Z in this world or in your life? He's reactive. He's never proactive. And those <coughs> who work with him and for him are waiting to react. They're, they're lurking in the weeds to react to those things to, so that they can accuse and point fingers. It, it, it always amazes me how quick the media is when there's a a school shooting or, or a, a hurricane or, 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 or some tragedy, whether it's man-made or, or, or not in nature. It, it always amazes me how quick the media is to try and find a reason, a solution, and something to accuse. It's this one's fault. It's that thing's fault. It's global warming's fault. It's this, it's this politician's fault. It's that church's fault. It's it, it's, there, there's always got to be fault somewhere in accusing. That's how the accuser works. He says, here's, and ultimately, your problems are your fault. 
No, our problems are his fault. It's our fault for listening to him. But our problems ultimately begin with him because he is the accuser. And he's always reactive rather than proactive. I'm going to tell you, evil will never, ever, ever, ever stand toe-to-toe with the truth. It never will. You know why? Because it knows it's defeated. The scripture speaks to that. And, and, and the end of the story here in Revelation, as I was talking about earlier, speaks to that. Evil knows it, it loses. It, know, it, it can read. It knows it's cast into the abyss, into the lake of fire. It knows that there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Evil knows it loses. It can never stand toe-to-toe with truth and say, okay, here's who, who both of us are. Make your decision. It, it'll never do that. Evil always lurks in the shadows. It's always in the weeds. It's always where you can't see it. It's always hard to distinguish. It's always masked and clouded. It never, it never shows the light of day. Um, and as I say, because it's reactive, it, it always points a finger to say, um, <laughs> you, you need an escape. You need a way out of, you know, you need an escape from adultery. You need an escape from, a, from divorce. You need an escape from, divi- from, from addiction. You need an escape from this temptation. Why? Because if, if you were really, if your God really loved you, he wouldn't allow those things to happen to you. You need a way out of those things. I'm your way out. He never, he never comes to, show, as I said earlier, reveals his face to say, I'm the one that caused those things for you. I'm the one that, I'm the one that, that looked at your life and said, okay, Job's walking with you because he's blessed. He's a rich man. He's got a rich family. He's got fertile land. That's why he's walking with you. Look at his circumstances and look, you know the story of Job. The Lord says, go ahead. Have at him. And he, and he rips Job apart, takes his family, takes all of his stuff, takes his health and and. And in the middle of that story, and Job's and Job, Job, his friends are standing around accusing him. What happened to your life? What happened to you? Look at what God did. Look at where's God? What's this deal of walking? You're trying to stay true to God. Look at what He's done to you. What He's allowed to happen in your life. And, and Job's response is, He can slay me. I'm still going to trust Him. He can take my very life. He's taken everything I've got. He can take my very life. I'm still going to trust Him because I know in whom I believed. Job said, "Well, the enemy is always reactive, never proactive, always accusing." never making sense of the things that are going on. Thirdly, the weeds of the world are are not only sown in secret and waiting to react, but the weeds of the world are hard to distinguish. Hard to distinguish. Look at the latter part of verse 28. An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, do you want us to go and pull them up? Verse 29, no, he answered, because while you're pulling the weeds up, you may also root up the wheat with them. Why would the servants root up the wheat? Because when both are immature, when both the weeds and the wheat, and this is chaff here, uh, literally speaking, uh, uh, which chaff looks very much like a stalk of wheat until the heads come out. And you can see, you can distinguish the difference. But when the stalks are coming up out of the ground, the chaff looks almost identical to the wheat. And that's why he says you're going to pull both of them up at the same time. Why? They're, they're indistinguishable from each other until they reach maturity. Great lesson in that verse. Why? Because we're going to, we're going to until while we are still immature, we're going to, to make some decisions and, and look in ways and speak in ways and, and, and act in ways that are not pleasing to God and doesn't look like Him. But the more we grow and the more we develop our faith and the more we realize, oh, this was about that. And that's what this was for. And this relationship was about, and this conversation was about. And we start to put the pieces together and the Holy Spirit gels the Word to our, to our mind and heart and says, okay, this is what this whole bit of suffering or this whole window of time or this whole job or this whole relationship, that's what this was about. 
And we start to make sense of all that, and we grow in maturity to say God was involved in everything. He was involved in all of that, and I couldn't see him in the middle of it, but he is constantly involved in the circumstances of my life every day, situation after situation after situation. When I grow in maturity enough to see that, I see that there's nothing happens in my life by fate. In fact, a believer can throw that word out the window. It doesn't exist for a believer. When the Holy Spirit resides in your heart, faith doesn't, doesn't occur. I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't apply to you because the Spirit is at work in every circumstance around you for your good and for God's glory. The problem is we usually don't see it. We don't grasp it. We think it's fate. We think it's just circumstances just happened and ah, that's my lot in life. No, God has either directly caused or allowed those circumstances to be in your life for, for you to see him, see what he's up to, and to grow you in ways that only that could do. Only that circumstance, only that failure, only that loss, only that situation could do. So the, the, the enemy is hard to distinguish. Why? Because in immaturity, we look very much alike. The person of the world, the person of Christ, look very much alike in immaturity because we're still fumbling, and they're still stumbling. And we're stumbling in our faith, trying to figure out where God is at and all, and all of this. And so as we grow, though, in maturity, and we're seasoned, we become more seasoned in our faith and in, the, in, in our walk with Him and in the Word and in listening to the Spirit, we start to make sense of things. And when we start to make sense of things, it's easier to distinguish and see, ah, there's the, that's the enemy. That's what the enemy's up to. Here's how he's at work. It's in the, he, he's in this phone call, and he was in this encounter, and he's in this temptation, and he's in this... And that's how he works. He works at my weakness. He works at my vulnerability. He works at my fear. He comes out at night. I see, I see him now. I recognize him. Why? Because I'm more mature. I understand his ways. I understand how he works. I get him. I'm getting into his mind a little bit. Why? Because I've, I've had enough failure now to walk in the level of maturity, understanding how the, how the Scripture and the Spirit work together to teach me in every circumstance God's up to something. And I need to find the things that, are God, that God's up to. So it's hard to distinguish in immaturity. It's hard to see those things. Only maturity brings those things about. Now, maturity oftentimes, as I've noticed too, has little to do with age. I've known a lot of people in their 60s, 70s, 80s who have grown little in their faith. And I've known others in their 20s who who are just as hungry for Jesus as they can be and passionate for him as they can be, more zeal than knowledge, but yet yet are willing to say, whatever God's up to, I'm in it. I don't care what it costs. I don't care what the risks are. I'm in. And so... Their, their maturity has, has everything to do with the Word and the Spirit bringing the, bringing the exposure of truth to us to say, ah, here's what God's up to. Here's what He's in. He's working in that. He's working, this is what this is about. And when there's mileage, and maturity and mileage are directly inter- interconnected all the time, when there's mileage to our faith, there should be enough growth there. There should be enough pace there to where we can say, I see what God's up to now. And I recognize the enemy more now. He's easier to see. His ways are easier to see. I, I, I see the darkness now coming. It may be in the middle of the day, but I can see darkness uh, coming. Um, so notice here, though, in verse, in verse, in verse 29, no, he answered, because while oh, you're still pulling up the weeds, you may root up the wheat with them. And look at verse 30. Let both grow together until the harvest, and at that time I'll send the harvesters. Now, notice here that both judgment and both timing are the field owner's responsibility. And who did he say the field owner was? He said, that's the Son of Man. The Son of Man is the one who's sown the seed. So Jesus himself is the judge and the timekeeper. He's the one who decides what is wheat from what is weed, and he's the one who says, now's the time to harvest. Now's the time to pull it up. You know why? Because we'd blow it most of the time. We, 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 would, we would pull up. We would pull a, a wheat up with the weed and destroy a young Christian's walk and their faith simply because we were trying to correct it, maybe in love, simply because we were trying to correct them and say, hey, here's, here, you need some guidance in this area. 
and, and they, they're totally off by that. And, and rather than, than take the guidance, take the, take the constructive criticism maybe from you, they had a 180 against God. They, they've not lost their faith. They're, they're still going to be in heaven, but, but their, their joy is gone and their zeal is gone and the power with which they were seeking God is gone. Why? Because we were well-intended, but judged their behavior to say, this is what you need, rather than saying, I need a, I need a heck of a lot myself before I start pointing fingers at what you need yourself. So there's a great lesson here in, in 29 and 30 to say, I'm the judge. I'll judge. I'll judge when it's time to harvest. I'll judge what is wheat from what is from what is weed, and I can see it more clearly than you. I see from the inside out. Sure, your wisdom and your maturity is going to bring about more discretion and more discovery, but I'm the one who planted them, and I know who is who. I know where they are. Um, our job as wheat is simply to grow in maturity. You and I are the wheat, as you described here in the latter part of this chapter. Our job is to simply grow in maturity and let the revelation take care of itself. Let the separation of weed and wheat, of chaff and wheat, Take care of itself because the exposure, God says, I'll bring about the exposure. You don't worry about it. It's not your job to say, okay, he's in, he's out. She's lost. He's saved. He's, you can tell by their life. He's, you know, he, he or she, not our job. That's the, that's the seed sower's job. Says, I'll, I'll take care of the judgment. I'll take care of the timing. Your job as a wheat is to grow and let God be revealed in your life to the extent that now, now it's distinguishable who's who, the, the, the wheat from the, from the weed. So, that, that's, that th- this, this idea of being hard to distinguish, as I say, comes with a level of maturity. We can't see it. We can't see it in immaturity. You have to grow to see that. So the weeds of the world are sown in secret, waiting to react, and hard to distinguish. But fourthly, and this is, this is a great consequence, the weeds of the world are awaiting total, total destruction. The weeds of the world, he says here in these verses, are awaiting total destruction. Look at the latter part of verse 30. First, collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned. Then gather the wheat and bring into my barn. Collect the weeds, bundle them to be burned, and bring them into my, the, the wheat into my barn. The harvest is here, he says in verse 41 of the angels. But he speaks to this in verse 42. Uh, you may look at this in, in verse 30 and say, well, he's talking literally, I mean figuratively rather, about the, about the, the, the weeds being burned. Because that's what you do with weeds. You burn them up to get rid of them. The, the burning is figurative, is it not? No. He says over in verse 42... They will throw them into a blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The fire is literal, and the consequences are severe to not knowing Christ. And he says here, um, and all this, by the way, occurs at the, end of the, in the end, at the end of the millennium in Revelation 20, when at the end of Revelation 20, when, when uh, the enemy and, and all of his minions and his demons and, and all the unbelievers are cast into the lake of fire at the end of the battle uh, after the, the end of the age. And so... This is a literal fire where there is literal heat. There's literal gnashing of teeth. There's literal pain. And he's saying here, this is a, I want you to see the vividness of this picture because it's true. It's not just figurative. It is actually going to occur. And so he says here that, that this, this, this destruction here is total. There's two things to notice about this. The one is that we are not the harvesters. We're not the harvesters. We are the wheat. And harvesting is, as I said earlier, the field owner's responsibility. Second thing, though, is that retribution or payment or accounting uh, is also the field owner's responsibility, not us. It's not the pastor. It's not the church. It's not our job to say, okay, it's time you pay. It's time you not only turn. <laughs> you, you, you've heard a lot of preachers, a lot of pastors and churches over the years will preach turn or burn. 
Some churches are preaching turn and burn. It's not our job to both judge you and you know, point out your lostness and judge you on the top of that to where you're, you're having to pay in the church for the things. You, it's, it's, he's saying, that's my job. It's the field owner's job to, disturb, to, to determine when the harvest time comes and what the retribution is, what the payment is. And he's already decided that. That's already a settled issue, as I said, both here in Matthew 13 and in Revelation 20. Um, so we need to keep ourselves away from passing judgment. Keep ourselves away from, and this is hard, keep ourselves away from seeking revenge. Keep ourselves away from, from becoming judge and jury to say, I know who the weed are. I know who the weed are. He's a weed. She's a weed. He's a weed. He said, that's the job of the field owner, to distinguish those things. The maturity will reveal it on its own. We just, as he says, wheat, you just grow in maturity. I'll take care of the revelation. I'll take care of the retribution. I'll take care of all of that. That's in my time and in my way. I know more than you know about that. Romans 12 uh, speaks to this idea of, of his being in charge and us not, of his being judged and us not. Uh, he says, do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it's mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. Doing this, you'll heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Anybody ever wronged you? If you've, been, if you've been a believer, heck, if you've been alive for probably 15 minutes, you're going to feel like somebody's wronged you. I didn't get my way. They were mean to me, or they weren't fair to me. Or Anybody ever wronged you? Sure they have. You know what he says to do about that? Nothing. In fact, he says, do good to them. Outlove them. Outserve them. He says, in doing that, you're going to heap burning coal. Now, this is figurative. Figurative is not literal. But he said, you're going to keep burning coals on their head. In essence, say, you're going to just make their temper rise to the degree <laughs> that they're going to reveal and expose for themselves and for the world who they really are. Why? Because you outloved them. You outserved your enemy. Um, this isn't easy truth. I'm going to tell you, this is hard truth to put in place. When somebody's wronged you, when somebody's hurt you, you know what you want to do? You want to wrong them back, don't you? You want to hurt them back. Sure. That's human nature for all of us. He says, that's, that's not what a believer's called to do. That's not what the wheat's called to do. The wheat is just called to expose who they are. They belong to God. They are godly. They are his. They are, and, and, and our job is to bring him glory, not tear the weed down. He said, my, the job of pulling up and burning the weed, that's my job, not yours. Your job is to reveal me, to expose me, to, 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 so that the world, both, both weed and wheat, can see who you really are. You're the, you're the real McCoy. You're not the imposter. You're not the pretender. Um, so it's our job not to seek revenge. He said, that's my job. I'll take care of vengeance. I know it better than you do. I know what gets their attention better than you do. You think you do, but I know them better than you do. I made them. I wired them before they were ever born. I knew what their DNA was. I know what it takes to get their attention. I can do that. I will do that. You let me worry about that, not you. Your job, you just grow and mature, grow and mature, grow and mature, reveal who you really are. It's a process of revelation with the wheat and exposure with the weed, his job. Question here as we finish up. Are there any weeds in the field around you in your life? Are there, and, and by that, as I said, as we began this message, I want to clearly say that the weeds here are referring to lost folks, referring to folks outside relationship to Christ. Are there any weeds in your world, in your world and in your life and in, your, in the field around you? And, and are they family? Are they friends? Are they coworkers? Are they folks you care about? Here's why it's so vitally important that folks we care about, and, and beyond folks we care about, our world and our culture and our city 
and, and, and your community and mine, your neighborhood and mine. It's important that we care about those folks, but, but especially the folks around us that God's placed within our sphere of influence because why? The fire is literal and the punishment is severe. And the hard part about that, even more difficult than that, it's eternal. There are eternal consequences for not knowing him. Eternal con- when, 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 when our enemy and his demons and his followers are cast into the lake of fire in Revelation 20 and, 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 and the story that Jesus reveals about the coming of that here in this parable, when that occurs, it's severe and it's forever. And it's so important that the people around us we care about know him. Um, and it's, you know, it, it's okay that we walk together and sometimes, as I said earlier, in maturity even look, to get, look alike and enjoy the same things in life. But sooner or later, that, that shaft of, of wheat's going to form a head and it's going to reveal what is real and what is, what is a, an imposter, what's, what's a fake. And the consequences that re- of that revelation and the pulling up and the burning of, of the weed as opposed to the wheat, as I said, is extremely severe and it's so important that people we love, I think, I think that's why he's paint, painting such a stark picture here to say, you know what, there are people in your world that are weeds and they don't even know it. They don't even realize they're lost it, it amazes me how, of, of the, the situation and the numbness in our culture to the gospel and the spiritual things to the extent that I think it's, I think it's, it's become harder, not easier. You, you would think in a world that, that heads down a more blatantly sinful path, it would be easier to reveal lostness from, from people who, who are the redeemed. And I think it's harder. I think the enemy has so crafted himself and has so disguised himself and has so weakened uh, weakened our culture and our standards and our morals to, morals to the extent that now it's just kind of, we've we've grown numb. We've grown numb to things that are wrong, things that, that things that used to be easily recognizable. Uh, the, the wrong in them are not, and so I think it's consequently harder for a lost person in the culture you and I live in to realize and recognize their lostness. It was easier years ago, um, and, and <laughs> I I don't like where it's where it's come, but I. Uh, the, 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 the truth of this parable is this, and, it's, and I think it is dead on to our day to say, you're living in it. Those of you who know me, who are wheat, you're living alongside weeds in a culture who don't even recognize that they're weeds. They don't even know it. They think they're wheat. They think they're in. They think everything's okay. They think it's still based on the goodness scale. If the goodness outweighs the bad, God will like me in the end. Heaven will be my home in the end. It all works out, doesn't it? Not on a goodness and badness scale. It's on, it's, on a, it's on a scale of do I know him or do I not? Do I have a relationship with him? Do I not? That's why it's so vitally important that the people around us, people in our world, know him. Why? Because the consequences of not are severe and they're eternal. And it's not only suffering, but it's separation. Separation is, is I think, a, a separation from God and from, from loved ones <clears throat> and people that we cared about will even be greater punishment and torment in eternity than than the, than the fire itself, than the, than the gnashing of teeth itself, than the weeping itself, than the torment itself. And so I think this, he's illustrating both to, both to the world about themselves and to us about them to say, listen, it gets harder to see as you go along, not easier. Now, as you grow in maturity, it becomes easier to see one from the other. But the weeds will never see, see themselves as weeds. You know why? Because they never recognize their lostness until truth is exposed, until the head sprouts on the wheat. I'm not that. I don't have that. I can't walk in suffering the way he or she is. I don't know that God. <laughs> I, I I resort to finding something to drink, finding a pill to take, finding a relationship to, to, to mask it. I result in, in finding some ways to find to try and numb it 
as opposed to learn from it. That's what weeds do. And they never realize until the, until the weed's exposed to say, they're following something I don't know. They're following a way. They're, they, are, they are more at peace, in a, in a, and I know the storm they're in, and they're more at peace in the middle of this storm that I don't get that, and I need to know that. I need to understand that. And so maturity brings that about. When the head of the weed is formed, ah, there's the difference. When, the sh- when it's just a shaft sticking up, we can't see one from the other, and they think they're okay. If you have loved ones and people around you that you care about that don't know Christ and don't even realize they don't, your maturity, your growth, your exposure of him to them is vitally important. That's the way they see him, is by your love and your, your, your Christ-likeness in front of them. Um, that's why Romans 12 is so important. We don't, we don't repay evil with evil. We repay evil with good. That reveals the godliness in us, not the, not the worldliness in us. So are the people in your field that are weeds and don't even know it, and they need to be reborn, and they need to be fed. Um, this idea of rebirth and of feeding, this idea of, 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 of being born again is, a, is, a, is an old cliche, but it, it really rings true, especially as it pertains to this parable, because there's no way for the weed to go back down in the ground and become wheat. It's got to have a new seed. Only, only the seed of wheat is going to grow the shaft of wheat. The seed of a weed is going to grow the shaft of a weed. It's only, it's only through rebirth that that happens. So this person, these people need to come to know Jesus and rebirth, and they need to be fed and grown in such a way that they realize and bring glory to their Lord and not to themselves. Well, our enemy's crafty, and, and even as, as we unfold more of these parables, we're going to see, and I, I think he's using these great stories in Scripture to illustrate not only to the, to the 12, and you see that it's the 12 here in these latter verses who read the guys that have been walking with him, to say, hey, what does this mean? And they ought to get it. They ought to see what it means. And he's explaining to them, okay, this is this, this is this, this is this. Now do you get it? Ah. With the explanation, the reality comes, the truth comes. And so there are people in our world that need to see and need to, need, need to have him revealed. And his revelation is in your heart. His revelation is in your conversation. His revelation is in your loving them. His revelation is in your reaching out. That's how the revelation occurs. It doesn't occur in judgment. It doesn't occur in grabbing the weed. I'm getting you out of the garden. No. It occurs in rebirth. It occurs in, in, in putting a new seed in the ground in them to say, here's why I see the things that I see. I'm not perfect. I'm going to fail. I'm going to fall. But here's why the attitude that I have, here's why the things that, that come into my life don't rock my world as much as they rock yours. I've got a purpose to it. And I know God's up to something in my life. And that kind of revelation is, is the thing that people around us that are lost need to see. It's the greatest witness. Our story, as I've, oft, as I've often said, is the greatest witness we can share. Why? Because they need to see it. Because it doesn't match. It doesn't look like theirs. The enemy is crafty and he's deceitful and he's, and he's helping to shape their story to say, you're okay. It's all, it's all going to come out good in the end. You're okay. Nothing to worry about. They've got everything to worry about because the fire is real and, and, the, and, and the consequences are real and they're literal and they're eternal. They have everything to worry about, and they should be our concern as well, people lost around us. Thanks again for listening to today's message from Crosspoint Church, helping people navigate the journey toward an authentic, biblical, and contagious walk with Christ. Let's pray.